If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. episode 265 of the Mind Body Musings podcast. This is your host, Madeline Victoria Moon, and today we are visiting an old topic that is apparently still very desired for so many of you who listen to the show. We're talking about body image, where I'm at now with it, so I'm not going to be going into the depths of my past story. There are hundreds of episodes on that if you if you Google Maddie Moon Body Image, Maddie Moon Fitness, Maddie Moon Bodybuilding, Maddie Moon Orthorexia Recovery, you will find not only my own podcasts where I teach about these things, but also tons of interviews of my story and that process of recovering from bodybuilding and eating disorders and all of that. So today I'm really doing a check-in on where I'm at now, now that I am, I'll be 28 this month, now that I am 28. Wow, this podcast is just like a diary of my life. It's so amazing to think about being, what, was I 24 when I started this? 23? I might have been 23. And I was like, I'm 23 on the Mind Body Amazings podcast. Now I'm like turning 28. Um, and yeah, I will be doing a check-in. I, I posted something on Instagram asking, what did you want to hear about? And I got so many questions, so many questions, many of the same kinds of questions. There's an overlapping theme of, do you still struggle? We want to know, do you still have these thoughts? Um, how do you go out into the world and date? Are your workouts planned? Are you have, do you have any kind of structure to it or is it all intuitive? So I will be going into that today and I'm really grateful y'all sent me so many questions because I tried to record this podcast already and I felt a little bit tongue-tied um, around all of these things, mostly because the story, I've just said it so many times and it's kind of hard for me to have my own self-inspiration around it. So that was very helpful. And I thank you all for submitting your questions to it. So hopefully this episode will not disappoint and it will give you um, some of the answers that you are seeking. Not going to do a lot of announcements today. I started to record a My Musings segment where I answer your question and I just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And the entire purpose of those are to make them short and quick. So I'm going to save that for another episode, that one that I was going to cover. And um, the announcement that I do want to make is I have a surprise gift for you. I created a MP3 called The Four less than 10 minute embodiment practices for stepping into the divine feminine. 
So if you are very curious about what it looks like to do embodiment practices or you want tools to get into your body, but you don't have a whole lot of time, these practices will be incredibly helpful for you. They are ones that I do almost every single day, not all four of them, but I do at least one of those every single day to reset, to get into my body, to feel my my feminine energy or to feel my masculine energy, depending on which practice that I choose. But that is for you. It is free. You can go to maddiemooncom forward slash free gift and you will find that uh, embodiment practice toolkit over there. And I would love to hear from you on what you experienced doing these practices. Did something feel like it, it really unlocked a piece within your heart and your body and released something in your nervous system uh, that you didn't feel released before? Let me know. Are they helpful? Which one's your favorite? Which one are you committing to for the next, I don't know, 30 days? So head on over there. You can get that for free. And I will include a link to that in the show notes for this as well. Okay, review of the week comes from Miss Jall, and they say, grieving what could have been and has five stars. I never gave podcast much of a thought until this week, mentally and emotionally going through things and decided to give them a try. I knew I wasn't the only one going through similar things. Anyhow, grieving what could have been, that's a podcast episode of mine, by the way, is great. This podcast I was able to 100% relate to for anyone and a rough stop with a relationship or struggling to let go, you need to give this a listen. Yes, yes, yes. If you are struggling with a relationship and you're really holding on to what could be, I know that this relationship could be magical and beautiful, but am I letting go too soon? Or am I really an emotionally abusive relationship? What's happening? Listening to Listen to this episode, Grieving What Could Have Been. I will make sure that I include a link to that in the show notes for this episode so it's easy to get to. And thank you, Miss Jall, for leaving this um, this review for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a while since I've done a review of the week, and I was very grateful for your words on this, so I appreciate you for leaving a comment. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to start this by giving just a little bit of a background look at my body image slash fitness story. Um, but like I said, this is all gone into such great detail in the archives of this podcast and pretty much any podcast I've ever been on, especially the ones that are, uh, I would say like three years ago. That's the only thing people interviewed me on. The story was in People Magazine. It was in Men's Health. It was in the Daily Mail, ABC News Nightline. It was in Teen Vogue. Like It's just been covered a lot. So I'm not going to go into extensive detail because I'm tired of talking about it. So go Google, you will find all the things, but for here and now, because this this podcast is all about where I'm at now with body image, I do think a little bit of context is important, so I will give you some background. I was raised in a very conservative Christian household. There were a lot of black and white beliefs, a lot of this is what God honors, this is what God does not honor, very, very, very strict, and you combine that with my already OCD-like tendency to have everything perfect, everything in its place, food can't touch, um, the knobs need to be twisted extra tight, Um like I was a I was a pretty OCD child and it wasn't diagnosed so I'm just kind of going off of guessing when I'm looking at my past that that was exactly what it was but that combined with this idea that men are better than women because there was a lot of that there's a lot of 
there was a lot of chatter around women being submissive to their husbands and Maddie, one day you're going to grow up and you're going to marry a man. He's going to take care of you and he's going to provide for you and you're going to be submissive to him and you're going to be a housewife and you're going to make babies. And all of that is great and good. That's all great. If it's coming from a place of your choice, if it's not, and it's something that you're feeling like you're built to be, uh, well, in my case, there was a lot of resistance and resentment and beliefs that I created around men being better than women. And so I naturally fell into this pattern of needing to control my OCD behaviors, needing to find a way to feel like I'm in control, needing to find a way to feel like God loved me, needing to take up as less space as possible and be as the least amount of emotional as possible because, well, if I wanted to be one of the guys, guys aren't really emotional, right? There was just so much, so many stories around uh, especially in high school when you're growing up around girls being dramatic and petty and all this. And no one wants to be that. So I think a lot of us from at least my generation had this goal in mind to be one of the guys, to be the girl next door, to be the the girl that all the guys want to hang out with. And so in attempts to find a coping mechanism to deal with my perfectionism, my need for control, my need for God to love me, my need to live in the black and white land doing everything right, uh, constantly walking around on eggshells, the perfect solution for me was to fall into this weight loss trap of perfectionism and applying all of the things that I needed, the need for control into my body. So I started to count calories. I started to run on the treadmill and the elliptical for, I'm talking more than an hour a day. And then I would track the amount that I ate to make, make sure I ate less than that. I would weigh myself. Everything was about numbers from the amount of grams of fat that I ate to the amount of calories I burned in a Zumba class on top of a run, doing an eight mile run. I did that for like five months as eight mile runs. My knees were killing me, but hey, I was losing weight. I was one of the guys. I was in the gym all the time. People were seeing me in the gym. They associated me with being this super driven, athletic, masculine minded person. And that made me feel special, made me feel different, made me feel in control, made me feel like I was going to be the the breadwinner, the man of the house, because I did not want to be this submissive wife. But I didn't know all of this. I didn't know that there was like a, some trauma around that. And there was also trauma around other things. And it all just fed into this desire to have the perfect body, to be seen as one of the guys, to build a physical armor. I was trying to build a physical armor by bodybuilding one that was so thick, made of muscle, no one could get through it. I wanted to convince myself I was a guy because I saw nothing special about being a woman. I saw body fat. I saw pettiness. I saw weakness. I saw drama. I saw sexual shame. I saw everything that was bad about it, which blows my mind now and hurts me and also gives me so much compassion to that version of me because now the most beautiful, special, delightful, exquisite gift to the world is the feminine and is woman and is like just the magic and the sensuality and the beauty that comes from that body fat, that skin, those that heart, the, the, the laughter, the cackles that come out of women, like all of it is just so delightful to me. I love all of it. And it's so special to be a woman today, I think. Um, and to be in your feminine, but back then I did not know that. So I fell into disordered eating, eating disorders, exercise addiction, um, 
bodybuilding for a couple years and I'm talking three a day workouts sometimes and counting every calorie and being on my fitness pal every single day and having bathroom floor breakdowns, crying, crying, crying. Like this was a huge part of my life. If you are new here, then you didn't see all this, but like this was the only thing I was consumed about for about seven years. And I was never hospitalized. I was never officially diagnosed, but I know that I had definitely for sure orthorexia, which is something that I was a very dedicated crusader for whenever the term was coined and talked about. And I wrote all these articles and pieces on orthorexia, spread a lot of awareness around this, but I also had other um, off eating patterns. Like there were times where I would go days without eating and I had so much pride about it and I'd weigh myself morning and night. I had, and when I was a bodybuilder, my cheat meal, my cheat meal once a week was an emergency packet. Emergency, the vitamin C packet that you see at the cash, re- the cash register when you're checking out. Yeah, that was my cheat meal. I would have one of those and then I would go to the gym right afterwards to burn off the five calories. This was not a joke. This was some serious mental struggles. Physically, my body, my heart was pumping blood. I was getting out of bed each day. I was working. I was building my fitness business. Moon Fitness was my business. I was coaching clients with meal plans and competition prep. I was working. I was really intensely driven as a human being since I was born. So even though all that was there, and, and physically speaking, I had no reason to be worried. There was every reason to be worried. My mental health was suffering so intensely. I was incredibly sick in my obsession, in my anxiety, and that is where I come from. And and now I am full of intuition and flow and ease and emotions. I am I'm the opposite in a lot of ways, and I'm the same. I'm still very driven. I'm still very... Uh, linear in, in certain ways and I'm passionate and I have this this uh, yearning to keep growing and keep leading but now because I've allowed myself to take breaks and to listen to my intuition first and foremost and to slow down and to cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and be vulnerable and express my feelings and go through states of closure and then opening again and then closure and then opening and doing this for seven years like this is forever this is not something you do in one program you go to rehab and then everything is solved and then you come back home and you need to be fixed quote, fixed or healed. This is forever. And it doesn't mean that forever you're going to be having bathroom floor breakdowns and forever struggling with my fitness power. It's not the struggles that are forever. It's the opening and the closing dance that's forever. It's the growing that's forever. It's the new um, new chapter after new chapter after new chapter, new steps that you're taking every single day. You're taking new steps physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. That's what life is. It's, we wake up one day, we're alive, we're born, we go through childhood, we go through adolescence, we go to school, then we're on our own and we're figuring this tough shit out every single day. And then, and then one day we die and then maybe we do it all over again. I don't know. But it's a very important piece to recognize is just that this is never something that, because a lot of the questions I received from y'all was around, do you still struggle? Yes, y'all, all the time. It's just, it's, but I, I mean, I struggle with like receiving bills sometimes I don't want to pay and I struggle, I struggled with this podcast. I've been struggling with this podcast more than any podcast 
uh, episode that I've recorded yet. This is probably like my 10th time to have to redo it because I have so much resistance to talking about the subject again because my, my mouth is just like tired of formulating words around body image. Um, even though I've taken like this three year break from talking about it, it's just like, blah. um, cause it's just, there's, it brings up a lot too. It just brings up a lot that I remember of when I was talking primarily about this kind of comments I would get and questions I would get. And I'm, you know, there's just stuff that comes up, but I, if, even though I struggle with things, I still keep going, right? I'm, I'm dedicated to recording this specific episode. So here I am diving deep into these questions and being here for this. And the same is for your body. Like this, I, I think the expectations we create, it's, that's part of the, the biggest problem is the idea that we're forever going to be done with ever thinking about our body and the shame and the judgment we have around that. I allow myself to have bad body image days. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'm less than or less worthy. It doesn't mean that I need to go on a diet or I don't need to go on a diet or I need to join a support group or I can't date or I should date. It doesn't mean anything. It just means I'm having a bad body image day. That happens. And it's, I, I'm at the point now where I might have a bad body image day, but I give it such little attention that I might not even recognize it. And I'm not, see, this is where it gets tricky because it's hard to describe this, but I will have a day maybe where I just feel blah, but I don't, I don't even realize it. It might just be underneath the surface, surface because I'm, I've trained myself so intensely to go directly to the root of what it is. It's not the body image. So I don't even go there anymore. My body image might feel a little off one day, but I'm, I'm living in the land of the heartache that I feel. That's where I go directly to. So there might be a culmination, like I might be straightening things out in my apartment a little bit extra that day because the, the organizing is one of my coping mechanisms. I might also find myself eating a little bit differently. I might do all those little tiny behaviors now that help me feel a little bit like I can cope. But the, the main thing that's going to be taking up my awareness that day is my meditation practice, my embodiment practice, my crying session, like actually feeling whatever it is underneath. I go straight to that now because I'm obsessed with that. I love that. That feels good to me. Rather than dieting, I would rather lay out my yoga mat and do some cat cows until I start bawling and crying, put my head to the ground, express my grief, and then roll up my mat and be done. And then maybe there's some food stuff that still goes on, but like I'm living in that grief land. That's what's coming up for me. And I walk down New York in the, the streets and I'm going to my places filled with the embodiment of grief and, and tenderness and love and all of that. So that's really where I go straight to now. But to your questions, let me get to some of these questions. It gets a little bit more into the specifics. Okay. And before I go into this, cause I'm reading the first question and I just want to make this very clear that I'm not going to tiptoe around my truth in this episode. When I specifically coached body image and eating disorder recovery, there was a lot of tiptoeing around because I didn't want to tr quote trigger anyone that I'm eating zucchini noodles and I don't want you to worry about eating zucchini noodles, eat pasta. I'm just going to tell you exactly how I eat and you use that information however you see fit with this next question. That doesn't mean that this is the right way or the wrong way. You're asking about my life and so I'm going to give you my life because I don't want to tiptoe around that. And uh, 
if this is if this is not where you're at right now where you can hear about someone else's food, then I encourage you to make that call and maybe fast forward through this bit or don't listen to this episode at all. So the first question is, what does your diet typically look like nowadays? So I am a creature of habit. I almost eat the same way that I did when I was a bodybuilder. I really do. I eat brown rice, ground meat. I'm obsessed with ground meat, ground chicken, ground turkey. I can eat this every single meal and I'm happy. So I eat brown rice, ground chicken or turkey, egg whites, oats, blueberries, peanut butter, um, I eat Halo Top ice cream. I also eat real ice cream. I like to have, um, let's see, I make like protein pancakes and broccoli. And I go through certain phases where I'll use a specific kind of seasoning or sauce all the time. Like right now, I have this obsession with eating ground turkey, brown rice, and a whole bunch of spinach in a bowl with Mark Sisson's Paleo Mayo. It's like the best thing I've ever had. It's all I want to eat right now because it's so fatty and delicious with this mayo and the brown rice and the meat and, and crunchy with the lettuce. It's like a, so good. So I'll eat that for two meals. I still eat six meals in a day. This is just my day-to-day typical routine, but that doesn't mean I stray from it. I eat out all the time. And when I eat out, I just adjust. I mean, I don't put time into going into my fitness pal and adjusting it that way. I just adjust like um, mentally, I guess. Like if I know I'm going to go out for drinks or go out for a meal with my friends in the evening, I may eat four small meals and then I go out to eat or I might eat three small meals. I don't calculate it. I'm not structured and rigid in that way. I just typically have this placeholder because I like some sort of structure. I've done it where in the past three years, I have done it where I had three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't really like that. I get tired when I eat that way. And it's it, it makes me have to put a lot of energy and thought into what I'm going to make when I don't have these placeholder meals of the typical things I go and make. When it's just like, okay, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three big meals, whatever I want to eat, it's too much. Like, I don't know what I want to make. I, I, I have to decide. I have to put together a unique meal. That's not my calling. And I wish it was because I see these cookbooks where these people put so much intention and love into every single individual meal that they eat. And I just don't have that within me. I get really creative around writing and when I read and these podcasts and speaking and teaching and creating courses and that. But when it comes to food, I like to keep things simple when I'm cooking at home. Or I like to go out to eat where I then have whatever the cook wants to create for me. I love that. But when it comes to eating at home, that's just me. I like to eat staples that are very easy to put together. And I'm fully aware that it's not super micronutrient dense. Macro, I'm probably right on the money, but micro, I'm not having maca and collagen and ashwagandha and every single thing that I eat. So I, I, I know that I'm probably missing out on a few of those super diverse ingredients that are in so many of these awesome recipes, but I like my brown rice and I like white rice and I like sweet potatoes and I like egg whites. I do. I know it's, I love egg whites and I also love yolks, but I also know the amount of 
calories-ish that I like to stay within, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I know the amount-ish of protein I want to be having a day, and the amount-ish of fat, and the amount-ish of carbs. But does do I stick to that? No. So if I'm being radically transparent with you, which I am today, I eat pretty boring. I've eaten the same meals for the past like three years, day in, day out, because I love them. And I still know around how many calories I eat as a baseline, but you better believe it if I get a hankering for that dark chocolate that I have sitting in my cupboard and I've already had this amount of carbs a day, I'm still going to eat it. I do not care. And this happens often. So I might be thinking I'm staying around a certain calorie range, but every day, if you add up how many times I go back into my pantry because I'm still hungry, I'm probably nowhere near it and I don't care. I really just do that because I like having some sort of masculine container and, and the feminine every day. And so knowing around the amount of protein, protein I'm eating gives me some sort of masculine container to play with. And then the feminine is what the protein sources are. And the same for everything else that I eat. And I do like to mix things up. Um, I don't eat too much fruit, but I do love berries. And in the summertime, I've been eating more mangoes. And I've been having some pineapple. So I'm all about, I'm all about sugar. I am not at all someone who limits it. Especially in fruit forms, I eat... What I eat whatever it is that I want. It just so happens that I typically want the same things. I find a meal I like. I'm a creature of habit. I eat the same thing over and over again. But I also love flavor. So I add my sauces. I, I'm, I love salt. I add salt to everything. If y'all saw me and my Bragg's liquid aminos, go, I go crazy for it. I love to have that. Um, yeah, I'm not someone that's like, I eat chicken and brown rice and that's it. It's not that at all. It's like, I barely even eat chicken, by the way. I'm just not a huge fan of the way I cook it. I like ground turkey and it's not 99.1. I like to have 93.7 ground turkey. And on top of that, I add my salt and I add my fat. I'll add avocado. I like it to be flavorful. Um, I like it to be balanced, well-rounded. And I go through phases. So sometimes I'll go through a roasted veggie phase where I will make a big batch of roasted broccoli, roasted uh, um, squash, roasted carrots. And then I might put that into a brown rice bowl with tahini. And I go through a phase where I eat that every single day. I'm just a creature of habit and I'm really big on textures. So when I find a texture I like, like this, this spinach brown rice paleo mayo (laughs) turkey combo it's like that's gold and I want it every day and I get excited for it whether it's breakfast or it's my late night snack I just want to eat it all the time so that's typically how I eat um and then I also go out to eat a lot like like last night I had someone come over and we ordered pho and I had a pho salad with like the noodle bowls And spur of the moment, I was like, I want dumplings with this. So I ordered us some pork dumplings to go along with it. And cool, great. I had four small meals yesterday and then I had a extra big meal after. I don't care. Like it just, it's more of the consistency of the way I eat, the way I eat. It takes out the equation of what am I going to eat? I just don't want to think about that. I want to eat things that I love. I want to eat things that are very simple to make. 
Um, some of y'all are going to shake your head at me for this. I don't really care, but I like Uncle Ben's brown rice. I like it because it's quick. It's fast. I just heat it up. The part about that I do not like is the waste. Um, fully aware of that. Do not like that part of the waste of the bags and the plastic. I'm not big on that. So, but I still like the convenience of it, even if it's not homemade in my my rice cooker. It's just so easy to put together. So food is not something that takes up space in my life almost at all, unless I'm going out to eat. And then you better believe I'm like, okay, where in New York do I want to go? I love going out for breakfast bagels. I love me some cream cheese. When I have the energy to get up in the morning and go do that, I will go do that. Or I will have an acai bowl on my way home from working out. I love that. I'm all about it. It's not something that it's hard for me to decide if I want to do that or I want to have food at home. It's just whatever sounds good in the moment and whatever's going to take up the less amount of decision making. I just don't want to make a whole bunch of decisions around what I eat. And if it's simple, then there we go. I'm going to do it. Uh, next question. Did you ever experience extreme hunger, binging, junk food obsession, etc. when you first started recovery? And if so, how long were you in that phase? So this is not a question about where I'm at now, but more so where was I then? Extreme hunger. You better believe it. Yes, I went through about a year of just being super hungry and eating Pop-Tarts. I, I still love me some Pop-Tarts, like the pumpkin spice ones. Yeah, so good. Um... But yeah, especially when I was going through a period where I was eating a lot of fruit and I was finally coming back to fruit because fruit makes me and many other individuals even more hungry. So when I was going into exploring fruit again, I'd wake up and I'd I'd have a papaya and I'd fill it with yogurt and fill it with granola and fill it with even more fruit on top of that, maybe coconut flakes. I would really do it up because I was getting back into the groove with food and I would eat a lot of fruit and I'd find myself even more hungry. And so then I'd have some popcorn and then I might have um, cereal. That's that's one thing y'all should know about me. Side note, a meal that I eat every single day, and I've done this for about six years, is yogurt with like Cheerios on top and blueberries and uh, almond butter or peanut butter with cinnamon. It's like my favorite meal. Something about the texture combination. I'm so big on texture combinations. I want crunchy. I also want something kind of smooth. And I want something that's like really delightful, like the blueberries or strawberries. That's been an obsession of mine for forever. And I'll change up the type of uh, cereal that I use. Um, sometimes I'll go like extremely healthy, or organic fresh non-GMO and other times I'm like Cheerios because it's low calorie and I can have a lot of it and so then I just I do that it's whatever I, I want but that's something that I eat often that comes from a box don't really care I still feel fine whenever I eat it I feel great when I eat it actually because it makes me happy but um, binging no that's part of the question no I never went through a binging phase I've never been a binger I'm too much of a control purpose-driven kind of minded person not to say that if you're binging you're not because oftentimes if you are super in your control it creates a binge but I've always just seemed to find some sort of balance around that with me um, I've never felt I, I'm very sensitive to how my body feels fullness wise if I feel way too full I'm just miserable to the point where my body says don't go there and then other people, they binge and their body doesn't give them that signal. And then they get to that place and then they're like, oh, why'd I do that? Which sometimes then leads to the purging. 
Um, but for me personally, I haven't gone into the binging, though that is a very, very big thing for many individuals, many people. And that might be a, a, a place you have to go through. I have lots of people who follow me on my Instagram who I, I know them and I know that they went through about a year of just having to go above and beyond of eating in order to find their equilibrium and their, their middle ground with eating food. I had a guest on twice. Her name's Stephanie Ruper. And in one of the episodes, she talks about how she encourages her clients to go on the edge of eating too much than eating too little. And I stand by that. I think that's great. And I also think that's great for getting your period back. She talks about that. We have an episode. I believe I titled it, How I Got My Period Back by Eating a Sandwich. And she talks about this. Now, if you want to get your period back, um, the best way to do it is either there's two ways to do it, actually. There's the, the slow and steady route where you just eat uh, a good amount of food, uh, a balanced amount of food, but it'll take a longer amount of time. But you want to like dose out your sugar and your fat and your salt and just start to eat more and more and more. And then there's like the fast, like you just eat lots more food, you eat all the diversity, you eat it in a short amount of time, and then you might get your period back quicker. So listen to that podcast episode. I'll include a link to it in the show notes if you're curious about that. But for me, I'm just answering the question. I've never gone through that binging period, though it is very common. Uh, junk food love, yes. I wouldn't say obsession because that was the, the word that you used. I would just say junk food love. Um, and, and expanding my horizons, I, I love making myself waffle sandwiches, and I still do that. I did that a lot when I was first starting recovery of waffles and peanut butter and eggs and um, using some sort of like syrup on top. Totally big fan of that and still do that. How long were you in that phase? I would say probably about a year. Um, what's your relationship like now with your body? Um, good, yeah. <laughs> I, I like my body. Uh, it's not as thin as it, as it has been. It's, it's not as um, body fat diverse as it has been. It's, it just feels very like average. It, it feels very strong, I work out. I eat, I think I eat healthy and I eat in a way that makes me feel good every, every two to three hours eating a small meal, also going out to eat whenever I feel like it. I'm just, I just eat in a way that feels really balanced and I move my body every single day. But I would say like what's contributed to me having one thing that's contributed strongly, because this was a question I was asked is, do you still do ab checks? No. I don't do ab checks. The only mirrors I have in my bedroom show shoulder up and then I have one in my kitchen that is shoulder up and then my only full length mirror is in my living room which if you saw the the layout in my apartment it's at the very end of it's way far away from me. It's not like my apartment's that big, but it's big enough for me to not care to go all the way over there to do an ab check. And the bathroom in my I mean, the mirror in my bathroom is also only shoulder up. So it's just too much work to do that. And that's been a huge blessing for me. I don't do the ab checks anymore. It's not convenient. The mirror's too far away. That would be a very big tip I would give you is if you're someone who does the morning, raise up your shirt, see if your abs are magically there thing, get rid of that mirror completely. Just have a mirror that shows your face. And if you want to have a mirror to see your outfits, I would encourage you to have it 
in a place that you're going to go to only when you're going to look at your outfit. Maybe it's just somewhere that's a little bit inconvenient to get to have it. My mirror is, is even at a tilt. So to where my bottom half looks quote bigger, you know, bigger than my top half because it's tilted upward, like the way you would not want to take a photo. And I do that on purpose because I don't look fabulous in it. I look disproportionate. And if I already know I'm going to look disproportionate in the mirror, I'm not going to do an app chat because it's not going to look great. So that may be a tip as well is just to make your full length mirror only usable for looking at your outfits and not looking at anything else because it won't give you an accurate look at it. That's it. I, I have no desire to do my ab checks because I know it's going to look kind of funky because it's at this tilt. So maybe do that as well. And it'll discourage you from doing these. I feel so much better from not doing these daily looks. I, I feel my body. I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. I've lived with it my entire life. I don't need to look at it. But having those mirrors so accessible made me look at it often, whereas now they're not accessible. I don't look at it, don't care. And it's out of sight, out of mind. I just slowly stopped caring about it. So I would really, really encourage you to do that. Second thing someone did ask me is, do you ever weigh yourself? No, not really. Every once in a while, I weighed myself probably three months ago. But the time before that that I weighed myself was probably a year ago. And I can weigh myself every now and then because it doesn't affect me anymore. I really don't care. I know I'm around the 130 something, 134, 130, 128. I'm anywhere in there. It doesn't really matter. It depends on what I ate. How much water did I drink? Am I dehydrated? Uh, is my hair a little bit wet? Am I wearing a lot of clothes? Am I not? Like, am I on my period or about to be? And none of that helps me to be a better speaker or a better teacher, a better friend, uh, to sleep better, be more my fat. None of that matters. I don't really care. So I don't check it. And if I do check it, it's just because I'm curious and that's that. If you are still very vulnerable to seeing what your number is, get rid of the scale completely forever. For the past six years, when I go to the doctor's office, I step on the scale backward and I would say, don't tell me the number. Like I had to protect myself. Now I don't care. But then, yeah, you better believe it, even though it was kind of weird. And I had to be in that discomfort of what are they thinking about me? Do they think I'm just oh, one of those girls that's pretty thin, but is obsessed with weight and all of that. I don't care. I had to be in that very uncomfortable place of knowing or feeling someone was judging me, but that was actually really healthy to be the girl who got on the scale backward, told the person not to tell her what the number was and sit in the discomfort of wondering what that person was thinking about me. That was really great because whatever I was worried she was thinking about me was actually 110% true. I am the girl that was relatively thin, that was getting on the scale, stepping on it backwards, telling the nurse not to tell her what the number was. That is who I was. And I needed to own up to that. And my fear of what the judgments were was just a fear of me stepping into a place I needed to be in. So if that's where you're at, I encourage you to do so and, and feel uncomfortable wondering if they're judging you. Do it. Be in that place because it's really just a reflection of what your judgments are around yourself. The next question is, would love to hear how listening to your intuition has released your resistance around food. Intuition is a big part of releasing re resistance around food, but the bigger part is being okay with the discomfort and the emotions that arise in life. That is the true gold and releasing the judgments we hold around said emotions. That's why everything that I do around the feminine and masculine is actually incredibly intertwined with body image and disordered eating patterns because we go into disordered eating 
when we're trying to cope with discomfort, discomfort around not being in control, discomfort around others' judgments that we assume they have about us or projections or feeling like the crazy person whenever we feel rejected, like whatever's coming up. Most of us turn to food or body image or alcohol or sex or relationships or shopping, whatever it may be, in order to not feel what we are feeling. So intuition is important, but I think there's too much focus on intuitive eating and in, in, in not enough focus on sitting in, in discomfort, sitting in the things that feel like shit, to be honest, like someone not liking us and us sitting in that, knowing that your best friend is hanging out with another girl instead of you and just sitting in that discomfort and acknowledging yourself and holding yourself and saying, I hear you. I feel you, sweet thing. I know it hurts that she's hanging out with someone else. I'm with you. I love you. Feel your pain. Express your pain. And, and simply being with what it is to be human. Intuition is important. It's not everything. So yes, listening to my intuition and following a yes when it feels like a yes and following a no when it feels like a no and eating a grilled cheese sandwich when it sounds yummy, that's all important, but it's not what led to me releasing resistance around food. I have released resistance around food because I have released resistance around me. I have accepted me. I have accepted my crazy. I have accepted my petty. I have accepted my sadness, my grief, my over-the-topness, my neediness. I've accepted the shadow. By accepting the shadow, food becomes just... That's why I'm like, just give me whatever simple because I've got big things I need to do. I need to take care of stuff. Give me something that tastes good. That's like number one. It's got to taste good. I've got to like it. And then something simple that I can just make because it's not about the food. It never was about the food. It never will be about the food. It's always about the judgments we hold about ourselves. And and oftentimes that comes from society, right? So I was raised, and you most likely were raised, seeing magazine models with their airbrush perfection and all this uh, talk in the magazines about how amazing they are. And this is also in movies. We see this picture-perfect model that's also been completely photoshopped and airbrushed and everything. And there's a lot of pressure that comes from that to look like that. And we think that's what beautiful is. And we're tricked into thinking that's what normal is when it's completely not normal. And so once you've got the logic side down, like, okay, that's airbrushed. Okay, that's not what is normal. Okay, that person has three different trainers, uh, all of their meals catered for them, a specific diet plan made for them. They're having weigh-ins and that's their job. When you get the logic side down, like, okay, that's, that's what's going into this body that I see in the magazine. That's really important. And I can help you take that bird's eye view to understand that anybody you see in the magazines or in the media, that is part of their job. They are paid to do that. That helps a lot. And then there's the other piece, the emotional piece of why we fall into stuff like that. Because we want to be seen as beautiful, amazing, worthy, loved, special, And underneath that, it's like perfect. We want to be seen as perfect like they are seen as perfect and worshipped as perfect. And then when emotions come up that aren't deemed as perfect, we have a panic attack. We want to control. We want to figure out how do I get back on that track to perfection. And that's why I'm saying it's so important to sit in the discomfort of 
emotions because that's where the true healing is done. And that's when the nervous system starts to realize, oh, I can feel sadness and not have to take action. I can feel hurt and not have to control something. I can just sit here. I can just be in my hurt and I can cry and I can release it and I can go to, go to a yin yoga class and I'll be just as fine as if I were to feel if I went to eat zucchini noodles and Mrs. Dash seasoning, even better actually, right? So it, intuition is important. It's just not everything. And intuition, I, I would say, even more important than intuition is feminine is the feminine, softness, uh, surrendering, um, energy, wildness, chaos, ups and downs, roller coaster, the waves, the everything, like everything that is energy is the feminine. So I would say just simply embracing the feminine more is really what led to resisting, to releasing resistance around food. And again, that goes right back into what I've been saying is, is adopting your emotions and sitting in the discomfort and allowing yourself to be whatever it is that you're afraid to be crazy, too sensitive, emotional, go into those places and be emotional and be too sensitive and be crazy and be all of that. And there stops the need to control your food just stops. It doesn't become such a thing in your life anymore because you're not trying to cope with who you are. And before we go to the next question, I want to bring to you today's amazing show sponsor who I personally reached out to because I was I was just getting delighted merely thinking about having them be on the show, just their presence, the name of them on this show. So welcome to the podcast today's show sponsor, which is Mod Cloth. At Mod Cloth, there's no such thing as an ordinary outfit. Crafted by a team of in-house designers, their signature styles include hand-drawn prints, standout silhouettes, and inclusive size range that celebrates all women, which I dearly love. I was first inspired by Mod Cloth when I started watching New Girl and Zoe Deschanel, beautiful Zoe Deschanel, wearing those super feminine and delightful outfits that are just like so vibrant and they're not afraid to stand out and to say, hello, I'm here. But they're also just so adorable and so feminine and not feminine in like a uh, petite woman kind of way, feminine as a adorned kind of way. Mod cloth to me is the definition of adorned, of not being afraid to bring what it is on the inside and bring it out with color, with prints, with uh, form fittedness or looseness, whatever it is that you feel would best exemplify who you are on the inside. I think mod cloth above and beyond most different brands really reflects that. And that's what I love. And and they've been one of my favorite places to shop at. I have this red dress that I think I got more compliments on than anything I've ever purchased before, especially on Instagram. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, you have to buy those. And I have these adorable white Oxfords I bought from there. And more recently, I have this brown purse slash satchel that I wanted to buy because I wanted to have something that I could fit my books into as well as a journal, as well as my keys, wallet, phone, all of that, because I typically carry very small purses and found this one, uh, obsessed with it. I take it with me everywhere. It's so convenient to have, especially in New York City, where you never really know where you're going to end up. And it's really thick and it's really sturdy, which is what I really needed to have some sort of book bag that's still something I could wear just if I was walking my dog on the street. So a little bit about what Mod Cloth is up to right now. With the new styles of 70s inspired workwear, Mod Cloth is making 
August all about your right to look effortlessly great. Not by pretending that everything is easy, but by letting ModCloth do some of the heavy lifting for you. ModCloth believes fashion should be celebrated by all women, and that's why they include a size range from 00 to 28. I love it. If you do have a question about fit, their team of mod stylists can hook you up with a complimentary sizing and styling help. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy by getting 15% off your purchase of 100 or more, including all sale items. Go to modcloth.com and enter Maddie Moon, all caps, one word at checkout. So hurry to get extra 15% off on all sale items throughout the end of August, which is not too much longer, but you have plenty of time to head online and pick out an outfit of your dreams, maybe the 70s inspired workwear that you can wear out to work, or you could wear it out for drinks because that's what I love about ModCloth. It's so effortlessly beautiful and elegant that you can wear anything, anything that they have, whether it's work or it's a party, a function, a wedding. Um, It is walking your dog in the morning, getting coffee with a friend, going to the farmer's market, any of that. So again, hurry. This offer is only valid for a limited time to get 15% off your purchase of 100 or more, including all sale items. Go to modcloth, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com and enter code MADDIEMOON, all caps, one word, at checkout. So hurry to get an extra 15% off on all sale items throughout the end of August. Okay, time to get back to the questions about my body. The next question is, how often do you work out now? And are your workouts planned? This varies so much. This is where my intuition really comes into play. I listen to my body really really when it comes to workouts. And I I do with food, but like I've already proven by sharing my diet, I stick to a pretty consistent routine with food. So I don't wake up every day and think, what do I feel like eating? I really just, I'm like, I know what I feel like eating. I love these things and I'm going to eat them. When it comes to working out, I'm more sensitive to that. So when I lived in Boulder, plus when I was traveling, for the majority of the time, I was just doing Mega Reformer Pilates. I love, love, love the Mega Reformer. It is a all-in-one kick butt workout, and it's fun, and it's only 45 minutes, and it makes you so strong, and it's so hard, but it also engages your core, and everything has to work, and I really loved that. That said, Mega Reformer Pilates doesn't give you much diversity, you're doing the same thing. And for two years, that's really all I needed. I never craved anything else. I loved the consistency of having the same kind of workout and also know, knowing that it was making me stronger every time I went. Um, living in New York City, though, I, I decided I wanted a bit of a change. Also, the mega reformer Pilates here, I think it's like 10 classes a month for $300, which just to me felt like crazy and not what I wanted to do. And so for, I would say for the past six months, I've done somewhat of the strong lifts uh, routine. So what strong lifts is, if you're not familiar, is like five by five. So five sets, five reps of three major compound movements. And you have an A day and a B day. So you have three lifting days a week. You're basically doing three exercises per day and that's it. So it's super simple. They're compound movements. So I'd be doing, and squats are every day. So three times a week I'd be doing squats. And then depending on if it was an A day or B day, I would be doing deadlift, 
bench press, lat, barbell lat pulls, and shoulder press. So very easy, very, you know, chill. It's not that hard. And every time you go back to the gym, you're supposed to add on five pounds. So it's a program to be able to consistently get stronger and consistently lift more. Did I follow that to a D? Uh, no. I would basically just do the workout. And if I raised or increased the weight, it depended on if I had someone to help me, someone that would make sure the bar didn't fall on me, or I would make sure I really felt strong that day. Because sometimes I get a little bit concerned that I'm going to end up falling and this weight is going to fall on my back and crush me. So I've done that for about six months, and that means that I would lift weights about three times a week, which means I have other days where I can either do nothing and rest, or I can go do other things. So a lot of times, the other days, I would see how I feel. I'd wake up, see, do I feel like working out? Do I feel like using all of my energy towards work, or do I just want to read in bed all day? Do I want to make this just a very intuitive walking day? And then I'll see. I might do yoga. I might do a dance class. There's a hip-hop dance class here in New York, probably where you live too, that I loved. And so I would do that for fun or I would do cardio. Um, I am a member at Equinox and they have so many classes and I'm really loving that. They have cycling classes, which I'm getting into. They also have a HIT running class. I've done some sort of HIT cardio for the past two and a half years. Um, for a while I was doing it five times a week and to many of you that might sound very extreme. It wasn't hard for me because I had a apartment gym and so when I lived in Boulder for those two years I would just go downstairs do 20 minutes on the bike where I would ride the bike then sprint on the bike then ride the bike then sprint on the bike and I would alternate basically every minute for 20 minutes and then I'd be done and then I would lift or do handstands or something like that. And my body has had a very deep belly cry for release from that. So I am not forcing myself to go through the cardio uh, ringer anymore. I'm taking a nice break from that. And I'm just focusing on what feels fun. And right now, like this week, so every week is really different. I've done the lifting thing pretty consistently for a while, but I went to a body worker yesterday actually. And he told me that doesn't want me to be doing squats because I have a hip rotation and I do have scoliosis and it's actually really bad to do both deadlifts and squats. And as much as I love it, I'm like, cool, whatever. I won't <laughs> like, I'm not attached to anything. So this week I've made it my own personal desire to only do classes because I want to carve out some time at Equinox to just try all the classes and see what my favorite are. And if I'm so busy lifting and having that routine, then there's really no time for me to truly dabble in all the classes. So Sunday, I went to a dance fitness class. Yesterday, I went to a uh, kind of like a mock Pilates class with using bands, those rubber band things. And I didn't love either of those classes. So I'm like, cool, fun, but not my thing. Um, I enjoy, like I said, the cycling and I enjoy the hit running. And I enjoy that more than doing it by myself. I I'm still down to do that kind of cardio if it's guided and led because it's a little bit more fun. I get to zone out. There's another divine masculine leading the way for me and I just get to provide the feminine energy of doing the thing and just being the energy. And I'm guided and led and I appreciate that. So right now, um, I it's it's... I've enjoyed having the three days of lifting and then the rest of the week to decide if I want to do something or not. Um, 
and it's, I'm going like starting this week, I guess I'm going through a little bit of a shift if I'm not going to be doing the squats and the deadlift quite as much. And I still enjoy lifting. So I'll probably lift and do other leg exercises and things like that. But I'm also very happy just doing yoga for a while and doing the cardio, doing like the, the guided cycling classes. That sounds like a good balance for me. But y'all, to me, um, exercise is never going to be something again that I have to do. Um, like I said, I'm more sensitive around the exercise component. And I don't mean sensitive as in um, it's trickier for me. I mean sensitive as in my body can get very worn out through exercise. So I have to be more particular about what I do. And to me, exercise is not the end all be all at all. I think food is much more important. So as long as I'm eating in a way that feels nutritious, it feels balanced and it feels good, AKA my, my meals, my small meals every few hours that keeps my digestion feeling really good, that keeps me energized. It's also healthy the way that I eat. Even if I have one meal a day that is, you know, a little bit, a little bit off of that typical plan, like maybe I get a bubble tea, a tapioca bubble tea, or maybe I have some dark chocolate, like even with that and the rest of the way I eat, if, even if I combine both those things, I would still say I'm very healthy. Even if I have dark chocolate every day or a glass of wine every night, I still think that's fine. I'm still on track with having a well-balanced diet, even if I'm like that. That I'm, I'm more consistent with. And then when it comes to exercise, I need to tune into my body a lot more. I think I can be just as healthy as a human being if I don't work out for the rest of the year, as long as my diet is still feeling well-balanced. That's just my, that's my thoughts. As long as I'm stretching and I am moving my body, meaning getting up, cooking, going downstairs, walking throughout New York City, doing my laundry, walking the dog, meeting friends, cleaning up. Those are all movements. As long as I'm doing those things, I'm moving my body, I'm using my body, I, and I'm, I'm eating in a way that feels good and is healthy, then I'm, I'm happy. I feel good. The, the weightlifting, to me, I just do it because it's another reason to get out of my apartment. It does feel good for me to feel strong. And then I also joined Equinox, which is an amazing place. And that's just something to do there. So it's, and it's felt fine. So I've consistently been doing that, but that's not the end all be all. If I needed to take a break from working out for like a year, I'd be fine. I would not freak out about it. And most likely my body would look pretty much the same. I mean, I've been doing bicep curls consistently for like 10 years now, and my arms are spaghetti. They don't look impressive. They're very plain. My shoulders look pretty good. Okay. That's one thing. I, my shoulders look pretty good, but my arms are just like that, you know, so I'm not doing it to change my body. I'm doing it to get out of my apartment, to go to Equinox, to sweat in the sauna, to move my body. And sometimes to me, the workout of the day for me is going to the sauna and sweating in that way. Like it's something about cleansing the body that feels really good. Yesterday when I had my body work done to me, that was like exercise because I'm, I'm smoothing out the fascia. I'm making my body feel better. I'm aligning my body to me. That is the whole point of exercise is to make the body feel good. Some days it's through a cycling class. Some days it's through stretching on my apartment floor with my yoga mat for 10 minutes. Some days it's taking a walk. Some days it's a massage. Some days, you know, it's a dance class. It's just whatever's, whatever my body is beckoning for. But I'm no longer ever again going to push my body. I physically can't. It feels like a violation of my body. It really does. 
Um, being a projector, especially, I get worn out. And now that I fully understand that, I have to be a little gentler with my body. There are a lot of things that I don't think I can do anymore. I don't think I could do a CrossFit class, really. I, I could do it. I'm a strong, strong person. Um, but I, I just merely getting to the, the box would feel like a drag and would be really hard for me to get to get the energy and the motivation up. So it depends on where I'm at. The Mega Reformer Pilates was a really good workout for me. I loved it. It's just not feasible right now. And I already signed up for Equinox, which I love. And I love having the sauna. So I'm sticking with that. And I may just spend some time doing classes over the next, excuse the ambulance, do some classes over the next couple uh, months and see how that goes. I don't put too much thought into it. I'm really, I really just ask myself, what do I feel like today? What's going to feel good? And that is what I do. My body has felt very tight recently. So the more I can go towards stretching and making my body feel really juicy to live inside of, the better. If that's lifting weights one day, then great but probably not. I find that lifting weights makes my body even tighter. So I have to do extra foam rolling and stretching, which I'm not super on top of. One thing I've been consistently doing for two years now that I will probably keep up for as long as I desire to is my handstand practice. I'm very big on that. Um, I practice handstands every single time I go to the gym just to make sure I'm still not afraid to fall backwards and I still know how to twist out. I just want to make sure I can keep doing that. Um, yeah, so that's been really good for me is getting upside down, training my shoulders in that way. Many of y'all know I've done acro yoga for the past three years. I've not done that almost at all this year. Just hasn't called my name. I've taken a break from it. I talked about this on my podcast episode with Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky. Quit. I think we called it Quit Happens. We talked about this. And I talked about, I was in the middle of wanting to take a break from acro so you can hear my thought process through that. And since that episode, I have taken a break. It's been fine. I don't really miss it. I did it recently. And while I was doing it, I was like, ah, oh, I miss this. But then... Throughout the acro practice, I started to realize why I took a step away from it, and I still feel pretty fine about that. I will most likely be doing it this weekend because my best friend is visiting, and she is the acro teacher at my retreats. We've done acro. She's the first person I ever did acro with, and uh, she'll be here for an acro festival here in New York City, so I'll probably do some this weekend with her because I love playing with her body and... We just have a really beautiful friendship and acro is something that we have a lot of fun doing together. So we will probably do that there. But again, that's not for the working out and have to get fitness. That's because I want to spend time with Laura, period. That's it. And if the medium for us is to be on a mat and do some acro and do some tricks, cool, let's do it. I know my body will remember everything, which is also really great. Once you get to that place where you're not doing something out of fear, you're going to forget how to do it and you're rather just doing it because you want to, and you also trust your body to remember. It's a really sweet spot to be inside of. Okay. Um, how did you deal with loss of strength and deal with weight gain that came from your transition away from bikini competitions? Do you think there's a way to be more in your feminine when it comes to movement? Okay. Two different questions. So the first question, how did I deal with it? Um, I cried. I journaled. I was frustrated. I uh, went through the emotional ringer, and I think that's really important because I was sitting through the discomfort like I talked about earlier, and also just keeping in mind why I was doing all of that. I was doing all of that to be free, 
And I had to sit with that really uncomfortable feeling of not being in control and not being perfect. And that's, that's the key to that. Um, yeah. And I just kept moving. I kept going, not moving as in working out, but I kept moving forward. I kept allowing myself to gain weight that I needed to gain. Now I never gained all that much because I didn't, uh, you know, my, my body just, I think I have a pretty, uh, homeostasis prone body. It likes to stay the same, which is great for things like getting out of an eating disorder and it's not so great for wanting to be a bikini competitor because it took a lot of dieting and restriction to to change my body. I have to go above and beyond to make any kind of change in my body because my body really doesn't want to change. It wants to stay the same. And if you look at my mom, you'll see that she pretty much is the same. She looks the same. She, we have very similar body types. And if I look like my mom, whenever I'm 60, that's great. I'm very happy. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Um, and yeah, but I still did gain some weight and I got off the scale. I stopped obsessing over the scale and I just, I surrounded myself with community that lifted me up and I reminded myself of why I was doing what I was doing because I wanted to be free and I created purpose out of all of it. I started this podcast when I started my dis- my disordered eating recovery process. I started this podcast. I started coaching. I started teaching. I created a course called Body Freedom. I wrote a book. I wrote two books. I wrote two books and two workbooks. Like I really just created, created, created. I was going through this uh, mother energy, like in every way, whenever I decided to recover, I moved into the mountains. I moved by myself. I didn't know a single soul. I got a dog because I wanted to nurture something. I started to birth projects. I went away. I was officially transitioning from this purely maiden energy and going into my own version of this mother energy, not having a actual baby, but really growing into my ability to nurture. And I think that's really important. I told my clients this all the time when I did body image coaching that if you're taking something out you want to fill in that space with something else a new adventure some change you want to fill that in with something that gives you gives you something to be even more excited about if all you have to think about is your workout and your meal plan guess what you're going to think about that but if you have something else that lights you up even more you're not going to be thinking about those things quite as much so create a project start something new go do salsa dancing Um, create your own meetup group or your support group, go to women's full moon circles, read a book, write a book, get into pottery, move, have another transition happen that fills you up and feels exciting and good. Create your own tarot cards. Just begin to create, bring in that mothering energy because you're going to become your own child. You're going to become a child when you go through something really challenging like this. So as you become a child, also become your own mother. Bring in mothering energy, birth something, create something, love yourself, make your home feel like a womb. This is very, very important. The other question that they asked was, do you think there's a way to be more in your feminine when when it comes to movement? Yeah, totally. Become energy, right? Do everything that's energy, like dance or like ecstatic dance or partner dance or um, like that's more of the the true feminine energy of just like dancing and releasing and and not having anything that's linear, but also there is the form of yoga, really going inward, yin yoga, resting and, and relaxing in your, in your postures and your poses and 
becoming a little bit softer. Those are some beautiful ways that you can get into your feminine with movement. There's also booty yoga, which a lot of people have reported feels very feminine. I never was a big fan. I tried. I I didn't like it that much, but you can also try that. B-U-T-I, booty yoga. Okay, the last question is, do you still struggle at times with disordered eating, orthorexia tendencies? If so, how do you get through these times? I kind of touched on this in the beginning that this is always going to be something that's that's a thing in your life because you're always going to have struggles, period, in your life. You're going to always have to pay bills and you're always going to have to take care of something or someone or even if it's just yourself or uh, look in the mirror or have insecurities. These things come up. With orthorexia, no, I do not struggle with orthorexia. I will say that there are certain times when I get pushed a little bit. So, for example, when I started traveling with my last partner, we were eating out all the time. And I have a certain, I notice a pattern within myself that I have a certain allotment where I'm like, cool, yeah, we're on vacation. Like my body's like, this is vacation mode. Let's live it up. And when I realize it's not ending and this person always wants to be on this quote to vacation mode, whereas I don't, I start to get a little bit panicky. So my last partner wanted to eat out for like every single meal because he loved food, which I, I love food too, but I also need some balance. I need to eat at home too. And to him, eating at home and eating a boring meal was like the worst. It's just like you don't do that when you can go out and live. And I'm not the same way. I love to go out and eat food, but I also love to eat food inside. It's like this balance thing that I have to do a little bit of both. And he didn't have that. And instead of me just being sovereign and saying, hey, I need this, I need to eat at home sometimes as well, but you can go out, I often try to form myself into what he wanted and then I would almost resent him for it or I would expect for him to make it all okay, make it better for me. So I remember eating out a lot and then having a couple nights where I just like, am I okay? Like, do you think I'm still pretty or is my body changing? And like leaning on him to tell me that I looked amazing and looked okay. And that was a learning experience for me as well. And there's a couple parts to it. There's like the one part of me having to go inside of my shadow and and have the fear of not being worthy if I gain weight and just sit with that. And then also the part of me having to ask for what I need and to be okay with him being upset if I don't want to eat out every single night for dinner and me have to stand up for what I need. And I had to learn how to do that. Those are two parts. There's also like a third part, which was me having to really ask myself, what is more worth it? Do I really want to eat at home or do I actually want to eat out? And I'm just afraid to keep eating out because I'm afraid I'll gain weight. So it's a lot of layers. And that came up for me. There was a lot of things going on of me saying, do I really want to eat at home or do I actually want to eat out? And I'm just afraid of what I will, my body will look like if I keep doing this. And I had to sit with that. And I think what eventually happened is that we just continued to eat out and having fun with that. And then eventually we got into a routine whenever we started buying a little bit more groceries and eating at home. And a lot of times when we started doing that, I'd realize, hey, we're in Portland. We're living in Portland for only one month. We need to go out. And then once I got what I wanted, which was to eat my brown rice and chicken at home, I realized, actually, I want to be eating out and eating fun meals. Let's go. And then it was really coming from my own heart rather than this pressure. But that is something that I struggled with. And this will probably be something that I struggle with again. If I ever go on a long trip, let's say I go somewhere in India and 
we eat out for every single meal. There's probably going to be a period of time where I feel a little bit stressed because I go through the the vacation mode where I'm like, all right, it's vacation, let's eat out. And then it's two weeks later and I'm still eating out for every meal. And I might be like, oh gosh, I got to slow down. I got to eat at home. And then I'll probably realize that there's no way to eat at home. I'm on vacation. I'm supposed to be eating out for every meal. And then I'll break through that period. It this is a cycle that I, te- I seem to go through where I will be able to live it up. I have a panic moment where I think I'm living it up too much. I break through the panic moment and then I'm truly able to just eat out effortlessly and free and just use my own judgment on when I'm full and when I could use more food. So that's something that's present in my life. It's okay. I've learned how to rely on the people who are really there for me and speak this language and can support me and can remind me, look, you're, you only live once. You're going to die one day. You might as well just live it up. Allow your body to do what it does. If he loves you, he's going to be there no matter what. If you love you, you're going to be there no matter what. It's all going to be okay. Your body will find homeostasis again. And once I remember all those things, I go, oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Okay, I can do this. It's, everything is totally fine. We can do this. We're cool. So that's how I get through those times. And sometimes you really are only one meal away from feeling a little bit more at peace with your orthorexic tendencies. So maybe what you need is a meal at home where you are completely in control and you get that that quick fix that you need to just create your own food and then you feel a little bit calmer about all of it. And that's okay as well if that's what you need. Support yourself and give yourself what it is that you need. The most important key is that you're not judging yourself throughout it, thinking, oh, I should be done with all of this. This shouldn't be a problem in my life anymore. I should be over this because that's the most dangerous place. Yes, I still struggle from time to time. Yes, if I was having ab checks every single day, maybe I would struggle. Or if I was weighing myself every single day, I'd be struggling more. But I'm not. I'm not doing ab checks. I'm not weighing myself every day. I'm eating foods that do make me feel good. And I'm also eating out. And I'm not second guessing everything. And sometimes I count my macros and then sometimes I don't. I listen to my body whenever I want to work out. And then I just don't work out whenever I don't want to. And my body feels really tired and exhausted because I know that getting extra sleep to my body is going to do so much more good than a workout. Uh, It doesn't matter if I lose weight or gain weight in that moment. What I do know, though, is that my body is going to reward me for slowing down and resting. And I'm going to feel a lot more energized the next day because of that. So I hope this episode served you well. There were a lot of questions that I covered and answered, and there were still a lot more. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, on how you felt. If this was helpful, please head on over to the show notes for this episode on maddiemoon.com, or you can go to Instagram and comment on the post for this episode. This is, again, episode 265, all about where I'm at now with body image and exercise. I will see you next week. Talk to you very soon. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
and MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 